And now, Grantland Sports. Oh, how pumped are you, huh? Get some of that. I'm uh, Rafe Bartholomew, a boxing editor, a features editor at Grantland.com, and I'm joined with Brian Campbell, an editor at ESPN.com's boxing site. This is the championship rounds uh, podcast about boxing. Brian, welcome, man. Uh, how excited does that song make you? How excited are you to be here? Dude, I'm so fired up. I, I just shadow boxing against my screen. I think I just cracked a knuckle. But, you know, this, along with the fight we're about to talk about, it's a great time to be a boxing fan. Great time to launch this pod. Yeah, so before we really get into it, let me explain what we're going to do here. Uh, this podcast is going to preview big fights that are coming up. We're going to do it as much as we can whenever our producers here at Grantland allow us. And uh, it's a big time for boxing, so hopefully we'll be back a lot. Uh, we kind of have to start with you know what, right, Brian? Uh, it's the elephant in the room, but it's a good elephant this time around. I mean, for how often boxing will break your heart, the fact that we are less than 60 days away from the fight, Floyd Mayweather Jr., Manny Pacquiao, May 2nd, MGM Grand Las Vegas, you know, the biggest sporting event arguably of the year, maybe even the biggest fight in 40 years, all that. This thing's actually happening, Ray. I, Rafe, I got to get, you know, your your initial reaction to this. It's, I mean, myself, all of us, we've been waiting more than five years, six, seven years for this fight. I mean, really, it's the, the negotiations that first broke down in 2009, right? But I think ever since Manny Pacquiao beat Oscar De La Hoya in 2008, that was when people really started to think these guys are on a collision course. And then one thing led to another. Yeah, it didn't and it, happen. It escalated when Manny Pacquiao beat Miguel Cotto in mm -hmm. late 2009. That's when it took a big leap forward. Like, oh, this guy's taking out real live prime welterweights, you know. We got to see this fight happen. And, you know, as we know, it, it fell apart along the way a couple times, especially, you know, the major time with the drug testing issues in 2010 it falling apart. And then it just became a five and a half year long soap opera where you really couldn't believe anything coming out of anybody's mouth. Yeah, it got so bad that most people who closely follow the sport just said, forget it. I don't want any parts of this. Like, let me know when it happens. Well, now it's happening. Uh, you know, what does this mean? What's talk about like what this fight means to both fighters? What is if, how big is it to them? This is, I mean, we know it to everybody at home who's been, you know, all boxing fans, all casual sports fans, this is the fight. I mean, these two are, they're so 1A and 1B in the sport. They're so head and shoulders above any other boxer or name or global icon or whatever you want to say. So uh, this is obviously the, you know, the Super Bowl, the World Cup. This is the biggest thing possible. Like I teased before, you know, this might be the biggest fight in like 40 years, which is incredible. You know, going back to the, the Ali Frazier days, for both fighters, though, I mean, Look, my biggest point about this fight is that even though, yes, they are past their prime, if this happened in the in May of 2010, you would have saw two prime absolute, you know, potential all time greats going against each other. That would have been the ideal time. But I'm sick of this rhetoric that, uh, you know, oh, we're five years too late. Oh, great fight. But, you know, it should have happened already. And this is something that I wrote about right after the fight was announced that. It's almost right on time because the fight means so much more right now. And I think specifically it means even more for Floyd Mayweather and for his legacy because he's been so protective in trying to almost handpick his own res you know, legacy, almost sort of uh, write it out before it's happened, you know, by calling himself TBE the best ever, even though a lot of fans had problems along the way with who he was and wasn't fighting, you know, and the way that he was sort of narrating his own legacy before it happened. The real key point for Floyd in this fight is, you know, and boxing fans have short memories when it comes to after years go by, this will erase just by taking this fight. 
this will erase so much of that ill will that has followed Floyd along the way. Now, some of that ill will is because he plays the villain role willingly. Some of it is because of sort of the outside the ring stuff that he's gotten caught up in, you know, the domestic violence, all that stuff. But in terms of, of the straight, real inside the ring legacy, taking this fight erases so much bad will. And I think that's the most important key part in Floyd's ultimate legacy and how we'll remember him. It sounds almost like you're, you expect, you know, this to be just taking the fight is going to get Floyd that, you know, that, that bump in his legacy to give him a chance to actually call himself the best ever. But like, doesn't he actually have to win it? <laughs> you know, that's, that's a great point. You, fill, you filled in the blank right there, the blank spot that, yeah, there was a Manny Pacquiao-sized hole on his resume. So, yes, uh, taking it does win back a lot of ill will. But, yes, the, how we will remember him long term, he has to actually win it, of course. And the reason why, and the reason why there isn't as much pressure on Pacquiao from a legacy standpoint is because Floyd has made everything that he is about this unbeaten record and protecting mm -hmm. it and calling himself prematurely, you know, the, the TBE and all that. So, yeah, he's clearly got to come through and win this fight. And I think it really obviously helps him escalate his legacy and where we remember him to a place that he can't get by losing this fight. And you, know, you don't I think, think that by if, in fact, he beats Manny, you don't think that there will be there will still be those people that say, well, he waited till Manny got knocked out by Juan Manuel Marquez in 2012. He waited till Manny started to slow down a little. He had Manny hasn't knocked many people out over the last four or five years. Uh, you don't you don't think that sort of thing might creep into this into the discussion if Floyd wins? I do in the short term, but I think long-term boxing fans have a, have a short memory, like I mentioned. Like, yeah, people still talk about the Joe Lewis bum of the month club from back in the day or that Rocky Marciano with that unbeaten record, you know, really didn't fight a lot of all-time greats compared to other eras. But, you know, all of those guys took care of the guys available to them. And I, that's why I think just taking the fight for Pac, for Floyd does erase, you know, a lot of that negativity that does surround him. I mean, it's not going to completely fix it, but you're not going to be able to hold that over him. I mean, I think it was it was also key that he moved up in weight and took that Canelo fight two years ago when it started to look like, you know, he wasn't going to take that. If he didn't take that fight and then he also didn't take the Pacquiao fight, you know, it's like that would have been irredeemable at that point, you know. So I think in that regard, you know, the short memory, I also think that, I don't know. It's like people are always going to be critical of, you know, of, of his resume of is this fight coming too late. But like I mentioned before, like, I just don't even want to hear that because if this was Manny coming off a couple losses where he just, you know, looked horrible and he clearly wasn't the same guy, you could say this is like some kind of old, old guy money grab. You know, you can criticize Floyd for maybe waiting too long. But I think what helps him in this spot is that Manny has re sort of rebuilt himself, right? From those two 2012 defeats, he's back to number two pound for pound, which really puts a bullseye on what's really at stake here for these guys. This isn't an old guy money grab. This isn't just, hey, I'm glad we're finally having this fight. This is still one and two in the division, in the sport, and Rafe, in their era. This fight still means so much that, yeah, you know, not in complete prime, but it's no sort of, you know, no sort of consolation prize or anything. This is still a fight that's the biggest you can make in boxing for a reason. No, I feel you, man. And, like, for Manny, I think, I mean, this is, I lived in the Philippines for three years. Manny is sort of the reason why I became a hardcore boxing fan and eventually ended up writing about the sport. He was just everywhere during the time that I lived there from 2005 to the end of 2008. And it gets to the point where, you know, Filipinos and, and I guess people who, who are close to the country, you can almost mark time by moments in Manny Pacquiao's career. Oh, I love uh, the way you say that, by the way. I love the way you say Can we get one more of that? Can we get Pacquiao, that yeah. Pa it's Pacquiao, not Pacquiao like everyone says, uh, most English speakers say. It's Pacquiao. Uh, but forget the finer points of pronunciation. This, there's a, the, If Manny can pull off this win 
And even though a lot of people are betting on him because they like they, they think he has the best chances to beat Floyd of, of anyone in years, uh, he's still an underdog, and a lot of experts are still going to pick against him. If Manny can pull this off, I think his legacy, forget his legacy, all that talk about him becoming president in the Philippines, he's currently a congressman, that talk actually becomes kind of believable. The, the, there have been enough bad presidents who have tons of accomplishments uh, in academics and the military and everything else in the <laughs> Philippines. I think if Manny beats Floyd, people might just say, the hell with it. Let's, let's give him six years. He's not going to do that much worse than this guy who went to Harvard. That's really interesting. The, the, you know, sort of the the cultural, you know, where this could go for him in that regard from winning it. But I think in terms of his true legacy, and Floyd fans hate when I sort of go in this to this territory. Yeah, obviously a win here is huge. It would take many to another level in terms of how we remember him. But there's to a certain degree, Rafe, and please correct me if I'm wrong. Manny's legacy is already set, you know, a little bit more set than Floyd's because of what he did, I think, in the lower weight classes. And then what he did by making that sort of, you know, crazy run up in weight, eventually moving up and grabbing titles at welterweight, then then took that one title at 154. I think that's there's almost makes this fight a little bit more gravy. It's not real gravy. It's still obviously a huge chunk of how we'll remember him. But it's there's not as much on the line compared to Floyd. Am I right or wrong on that? I, uh, no doubt, man. Like the, Manny's legacy and the, his resume, I, the, his record, the guys that he's beaten are legends, Hall of Famers. His, you know, he got the better of the of the trilogy with Eric Morales. He is. Uh, Basically, in most, in my opinion, in the opinion of most boxing fans, I think about even with Juan Manuel Marquez, who is really one of the top, uh, what, five fighters of this generation, maybe no even doubt. above that. No uh, doubt. And and that's what's crazy when you think about it. If this fight on May second is competitive, if Manny can actually beat Floyd Mayweather, then we could be looking at another epic Manny Pacquiao trilogy uh, in a career that's already had some really, really impressive, imp- incredible series. Exactly. You know, I mean, he gets so much credit for who he's already fought, that the times he's fought them. Like, yeah, of course, when he did make it to welterweight, he fought a, a few of these guys, you know, after Floyd had already fought them, maybe after their primes. No one's questioning that. But it was sort of the challenges and the daring to be great that he took to get to this point, which Floyd didn't necessarily do. And that's a whole nother bag of worms when you talk about Floyd's resume. Obviously, he has a very good resume. There's so many names. I mean, just it's just one name after another. But, uh, you know, when we dig deeper, you obviously realize, that, and we all do that, that it was so well handpicked at the timing of when he fought these guys. There wasn't as much, you know, sort of daring to be great, which means so much to me, means so much to fans. But, you know, to wrap that whole point up, just by taking this fight and just helping him, helping Floyd, is the fact that Manny is number two pound for pound, that he did do such a good job at recovering, that he did retain his elite level speed at at, at 36, which is ridiculous. And, you know, it's sort of, that's what makes this fight so special. But, Rafe, let's take one step back in terms of, uh, we don't have to go through the sordid history of how this fight was made, but I want to ask you if you can put the the if you can hand out the MVP award, you know, if you can get Kevin Grant say no, no, you are the MVP to one person and give that person credit for this fight being signed in 2015 when you know even three weeks ago people might have thought you were crazy to say that this might happen. Who gets the award in your eyes? Well, just like you know, Kevin Durant said the real MVP is his mom. 
I mean, it's got to be Mommy Junesha, Mommy Deepak yeah. Yao, right? I mean, she I had mean, her she rosary the... going. She was doing her little, she was making kulam, as people say in the Philippines. Uh, you Is know, she was praying, kula? making curses, just brought this fight into being through sheer force of faith and black magic. Black but, magic um, is exactly right. Thank you. I read, uh, I mean, I read Dan Raphael's really sort of uh, extensive blow-by-blow of how the fight uh, came together on ESPN.com yesterday, and I, he seems to to make a, a really strong case that it was the uh, it was Les Moonves, who is the CEO of CBS, or I forget, I forget his title at yeah, CBS. Yeah, president and CEO of CBS Corp. I mean, he's in a, in a key spot for sure. Uh, is that I mean? Do you buy the the sort of the the railroad tracks that Dan laid out in that article? Is, yeah, is, is you know, Moonves he had, the cause. Moonves played a huge role, as we found out from reading Dan's story. You know, Lance Pugmire of the LA Times also had a had a, a report somewhere similar to that where where a lot of the the credit almost goes to this random waiter in an LA restaurant. You know, who sort of was the facilitator of getting uh, Ro- Freddie Roach, Pacquiao's trainer, and Les Moonves in a room, which ended up leading to less repairing his relationship with Bob Arum, which eventually led to Bob Arum and Al Heyman, the advisor to Floyd Mayweather, getting the same room. All of those parts were key. I wouldn't begrudge anybody who maybe says that uh, Moonves should, should get a chunk of that MVP award because as it was, as it was quoted of saying in, in uh, Dan's story, he was, they, a lot of people compared him to the adult in the room, mm-hmm. and it really was an impossible hill to climb to get a lot of these egos and personalities together because that rift that started in 2006 when Al Heyman helped Floyd Mayweather Jr. get out of his top, buy himself out of his top rank contract, that rift between Aram and Mayweather was really, in my eyes, you know, the the gap that, that could never possibly be sure, closed. Sure, how many I mean, times did Floyd say over the years, like, this fight is not happening if Bob Arum is a part of it. If right, Manny Floyd wants to fight me, he can come fight on Mayweather Promotions. Exactly. And, you know, and there's a lot of theories of why it took so long. And maybe you, maybe you thought Floyd was sort of waiting for Manny to not eventually re-up with top rank, you know, because he didn't. He, Floyd never fought another top rank guy after he bought himself out of his deal. So, you know, you, maybe you can give Moonves a lot of credit. But I still, if I'm going to point to one guy and say, grab the, grab the trophy, Kevin Durant's going to hand it to you, I still go back to Floyd. And here's why, Rafe. For the last two years specifically, ever since Pacquiao lost those two fights, you know, started with the Bradley controversial loss. And of course, it escalated when he lost to Marquez by vicious one-punch KO. The pendulum swung back in Floyd's favor. He was unquestionably the A-side. And with the undisputed, unparalleled control he has over his career that no other fighter has ever come close to having this much control over what they can do, who they fight, when they fight, all that. I always said, this fight will only happen if Floyd Mayweather allows it to happen, if he said, because he's the one guy who says, if I want it to happen tomorrow, he can make the the, the part, you know, the, the parties that be bend in the right direction to make it happen. So I'm going to give the MVP award in this case to Floyd. And it all goes back to that snowy night, of course, in Miami, you know, the Bucks heat game where they, you know, sort of randomly Floyd and, and, and Manny Pacquiao met at halftime. We know the long story. They went to uh, Manny's hotel room afterwards, but that showed me and that showed boxing fans and all the other people who were critical and Floyd gave you rightful criticism, you know, rightful reasons to be critical. That showed me that finally he wanted it. And as you saw, Rafe, one by one, all those tiny details, which were not so tiny, began to come together. Sure. So, I mean, Floyd's got all this power. Manny's got his power. Bob Aaron at Aram at top rank is, is working his angles. Les Moonves, Showtime, HBO. This is boxing. A, a part of being a boxing fan is, is sort of trying to read the tea leaves about what's going to happen, who's pulling the strings. Uh, you, you broke down the power players. What, what's sort of like the, your most out there, crazy, 
never happened, but it kind of makes sense conspiracy theory for for what could happen with this fight or series of fights or whatever's going to happen with this event. Well, Rafe, it all starts with the Illuminati and the dollar <laughs> bill, to be honest with you. Actually, it all, it all goes back to uh, JFK and Dallas. Now, I'm not, you know, that's a lot of interesting ways. I mean, in this situation, I don't really have a uh, – a go-to conspiracy angle like I normally do in this spot. You know, I think if anything, you want to give Moonfest credit for almost setting a pick on Aram and not letting him sort of get in the way of this. So I think in that regard, I'm not really leaning in any direction, but I do like a point, you know, you might want to illuminate it that, that you brought up to me. It's terms of the timing of, of this fight coming together, maybe coinciding with what Al Heyman's doing. Yeah, you so that's, that's sort of like my, my actual makes sense conspiracy theory. And that's that we, we know that Al Heyman, the influential, are we allowed to call him manager yet? Is he actually managing fighters or is he just advising? <laughs> that's, a, that's a slippery slope. Oh, he's the advisor. But come on, he's managing, he's promoting, maybe not technically on the paper, but he's doing a lot of right. things. So we know that Al Heyman this this year in 2015 has launched his Heyman Boxing Premier Boxing Champions uh, series on a, a slew of TV networks, both network TV and basic cable and and also pay-per-view, of course. Um, so and And we know that he's doing that by just laying out millions of dollars buying time on airtime from from tv stations uh to put on his fights and paying boxers basically out of pocket out of this war chest he's built up with venture capital yeah, money huge, and all this huge stuff. War chest. so he needs money to keep that machine going and we're going to talk about sort of what, what the, the implications of all that later but in the in the terms of this fight of, of mayweather pacquiao uh, I if if Heyman needs money, I think maybe he was willing to to play ball this time around when in other times he might have been less willing because he needs money and this is the most this is the most the richest most whatever it was going to generate more money for this fight for this event than maybe any probably any other fight in history and maybe any other sporting event in history. I mean, each the fighters are splitting a guaranteed two hundred million dollars purse. Heyman is getting a cut of Floyd's purse, which is the larger end, which is 60%. Uh, and he, Heyman could certainly use that money to reinvest in making premier boxing champions this sort of takeover, uh, takeover company in boxing. Here's why that's an incredible theory, and you laid that out to me over email, and I was just like, whoa. Because, you know, when we take a step back to how this fight was made and, you know, reading Dan Rayfield's story, take, getting, you know, seeing how the sausage was made on the inside – one thing that jumped out of there was a cr- incredibly uh, lack of egos that sort of got in the way when, when of course, you figured that, you know, I mean, everybody was willing to bend. Manny made concessions. You know, Heyman didn't didn't step in the way at all. Even Bob Aaron was sort of, you know, they set, sort of set a pick. He was okay with everything. All the deals were signed. Everybody was, was business as usual. It almost supports your theory in the sense that, Heyman was maybe waiting for the right time to launch this, you know, and that maybe him and Floyd together, it didn't make as much sense in previous years as it does now. And that leads us to the timing right now. You know, I said in my story right after the fight was announced, it it might be the best time ever for this fight because it doesn't, there was never a time where it meant as much to the sport coinciding with Heyman's launch. And the fact that when you have a fight like Mayweather Pacquiao, you get so many casual eyes on the sport that were, you know, that have never been there before or that were former fans that want to come back because there's so much identification of those are the only two guys I know in boxing. They're finally fighting each other. So from a timing sense, it's very interesting that it's all coming together at the same time where all parties were finally so willing to. I think it goes above and beyond even the stickling point that maybe Floyd is only taking this fight 
because he needs to financially, you know, not, not that his wallet is drying up, but that he can't find any other opponents that would make him, you know, even close to this much amount of money and keep him as the undisputed pay-per-view king. Maybe even more than that is your theory, which kind of makes a lot of sense. So, uh, you know, if, if, if Heyman is using, might, could be using the Mayweather-Pacquiao fight as sort of a, a springboard in a year when he is really ex- uh, starting to execute an ambitious takeover of TV boxing. I mean, it's hard to argue with, with at least what we know now that, that that's not what's happening. Uh, he's got a slew of TV d- dates outnumbering pretty much all the other networks combined. Uh, and, you know, that's if there's any time to get the entire world focused on the sport, it's, this, it's the year in which you are making your big play to run the sport, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, and it, and it, it, and it it sort of segues right into us sort of asking what is the long-term impact that this fight can have on the sport? I mean, could you have a better fight when boxing is, you know, at a point in the last few years where, you know, it's just not crossing over. It remains such a niche sport. And whenever we do get a big fight, it just seems to not live up to the potential after everyone gets so excited. This is an incredible time for the sport to launch this and to see where, what you can do with it. I mean, what's the long-term impact this can have it's it's on, you know, the sky's the limit because I want to look back at the last two really big fights we had in the sport. You know, it was 2007 Mayweather De La Hoya and 2013 Canelo against Floyd, of course. Mm-hmm. In both of those years, those two years were hands down, undisputably, the two best years we have had in boxing going back like 20 to 25 years. And I don't think that's an exaggeration. It was like one great fight after another because it's contagious when you put, when you finally sort of, you know, wrestle down the egos and go forward with your best product, it just becomes contagious in boxing. Everybody sort of wants to one-up. Everybody, suddenly, all the fights that you thought were maybe unmakeable or unlikely because of the stupid, ridiculous, nearsighted boxing politics that always seem to trump, you know, logic because everybody's sort of trying to cut off that one little piece of the pie, you know, to save their face while the sport suffers. That sort of tends to blend away. People start to make good decisions. So the, the potential impact of what this can have on the sport right now, if you can build on that, is, you know, in num- is immeasurable. But if you look at 2007 and 2013, to end my theory here, in neither both years were great, but neither times was the following year something that took it to another level oh, or Lord. something that built off it. It was almost one good fight, some good fights around it, and then back to business as usual. You know, I think with the, with the coinciding launch of the PBC, which we'll get into a lot more, you know, coming up, that gives it the potential to really start a fire, you know, get Billy Joe on board and keep this thing burning. I mean, it, we didn't start it, Rafe, but it was definitely always burning since, you know, since the world's been turned now. And I actually, I, I now, I might be wrong, but there, there's a chance that Manny Pacquiao could be performing Billy Joel's We Didn't Start the Fire as he walks to the ring on May 2nd, getting ready to fight Floyd, Floyd Mayweather. You mean uh, that? I mean, mean I'm I'm not trying to break news. Um, There's really no – it's very hard to predict what what either of these guys will do at any point in time. uh, People who follow boxing have seen them do pretty ridiculous things over the years. Uh, Manny actually did record before he flew to L.A. over the weekend to begin training at the Wild Card Gym. Uh, Back in the Philippines, he recorded a song called La Labana Copara Sa Filipino, I Will Fight for the Filipino or for the Filipino People. but uh, he, uh, you know, so and there's some reports that he'll be singing on his way to the ring. I don't 
I, I think those are not true. I think he just recorded they're going to play it. He's going to do his normal happy walk and dance out to the ring, smiling ear to ear, and then <laughs> get ready to hopefully, hopefully do what he does to most of his opponents. Um, what I'm really curious about is what's Floyd going to do? He's always had some kind of funny gimmick going on with his ring walks. Uh, what do you think he's going to pull off? I mean, you know, Justin Bieber is getting kind of old as sort old. of like the human, uh, I don't know, whatever, hood ornament that he brings out into the ring with him. That's a uh, great way to say it. You know, uh, who, what, and Floyd's got to come up with something. Uh, well, it won't what, be T.I., yeah. right? It's not going to be T.I. Oh, it's, that's, that, no, I mean, Floyd is like, you know, I don't know if Floyd, how much Floyd actually uses the internet, but he is a <laughs> perfect internet troll. He 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 has the heart of an internet troll as well as a heart of uh, heart of a champion perhaps. I mean he's he, you know he's we don't really know much about what the real Floyd Mayweather is is like, uh, but you know what he does have that troll side to his personality. What could he do to uh, to sort of tweak Manny Pacquiao during his ring walk, which is going to be the second one into the ring since he's the A side? Uh, what's he going to do to sort of annoy Manny and his fans? That's going to be interesting because we know in the past, of course, he's, he's you know gone to the wearing the Mexican colors when he's gone in there to take out a Mexican fighter, you know, which is always a nod to his uncle Roger, the executioner from back in the day. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know what Floyd's going to do, you know, to maybe he'll he'll even take it that step further to the disrespect level. I mean, you know, it's going to be interesting, you know. I don't know, but I do hope that they really step it up and really bring through these theatrical, almost European-like ring entrances. You know, we did see that for Pacquiao Mosley in 2011. Didn't Pacquiao come out with like Survivor, the band singing, uh, singing the, the theme song? He's done that to- a few times. I think he for there was a string of two or three fights where he had, a, I think, Jimmy Johnson, the lead singer, coming yeah. out singing "Eye of the Tiger" in front of him. Uh, which and even Mosley had LL Cool J doing "Mama Said Knock You Out." I thought they were going in, a, even though that fight was awful. I thought that was going in the right direction theatrically, but boxing's certainly taken steps back in that regard. But I hope these are epic. I mean, do you have a, a you want to give Floyd a, an idea? I know he's listening. Do you want to give him a little idea of what he can do? Well, here? Floyd, I, here's my advice, man. You know, the last time you tried to insult Filipinos, you made a you made this like crack about eating sushi. Sushi is Japanese. <laughs> it's not a Filipino food. Filipinos eat rice with almost every every meal. So we were like even though you were really really wrong and racist, uh you know, it, there was, I guess, some sliver of, of truth, but learn a little bit more about Filipino culture to really to really pick the right thing to uh, to to dig inside, you know, dig inside Manny's psyche like a like a like a left hook. Uh, <laughs> I guess. Uh, I mean, I don't want to give away too much, but, you know, traditional dance, the tinikling, you know, it, it involves two bamboo sticks. Uh, you're dancing in and out between the sticks as, oh, as, as, as guys close them over your feet. If you could pull that off while walking to the ring, I think uh, you might just win the mental game right there. While wearing flip flops, right? In Janelas, it's important. Yeah, awesome. Awesome. Right. Let's look, uh, you know, as, as we come to a close here on our on our Mayweather Pacquiao section here, what do you think the last 12 months in terms of the last two fights for each fighter says about who might win this fight? Uh, I actually think that the last that, that Manny, I give Manny a better chance to win this fight now because of the year he had in 2014 than. I may have given him even at his very peak uh, in 2009, 2000, right after he, right after he stopped Miguel Cotto. And I know most people wouldn't agree with that, but that it, it has a lot to do with the way that Floyd looked in 2014. And in his yeah. two fights with Marcos Maidana, Floyd 
was didn't manage to to get away from Maidana as much as most people expected him to. You you think of Floyd Mayweather, the the sort of the most pure boxer, pure, best pure boxer, best defensive fighter of this of his entire generation of the past twenty years probably, uh, and he couldn't. He you know Maidana just sort of went caveman on him and and ended up being very successful, especially in the first fight. But even in the second fight, he troubled Mayweather more than. Canelo did more certainly than Robert Guerrero did no doubt more than a lot of Floyd's recent opponents so the way I look at that is like Manny had a good year he 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 sort of avenged his bogus loss to Timothy Bradley from a couple years before. Who was number three pound for pound at the time. Exactly, we yeah. Who, we've seen, you don't, people don't beat Timothy Bradley easily. Uh, and then and then he wiped out Chris Algieri, which doesn't really tell us how great Manny Pacquiao is, but he did it in a, he, you know, he showed a lot of speed and quickness and timing that, that obviously he's going to need if he's going to have any success against Floyd Mayweather. And I, part of me just thinks that, look, if, if Manny can... Can I mean if if Marcos Maidana can catch up with Floyd and pin him against the ropes and maybe Floyd allowed some of that but may, but yeah. it, but if Marcos Maidana can can catch up and give Floyd problems then Manny Pacquiao is going to do something in this fight and be successful with it he's not going to be you know chasing the wind for twelve rounds or for however many uh, and and I think you know Manny's just a more dynamic offensive fighter than exactly. than Maidana is he's going to get work done and it'll be interesting to see how Floyd responds to that. And my key thing is, if you look at Floyd's resume since turning into, you know, becoming a welterweight, becoming this number one pound-for-pound slash pay-per-view king of the whole sport, when was the last time he fought a guy not just with elite-level hand speed, which would have to go back to the Judah fight, you know, where he did have some Mm -hmm. trouble the first four rounds, or even was knocked down when when his glove touched the canvas, it wasn't called, but has fought a guy with this combination of power, speed, and ring savvy and ring intelligence. You know, it just hasn't happened. I think that fact alone and the fact that Manny it showed us that this past year that he has retained his his elite-level hands, which is remarkable for a guy who's 36, that level alone, I think, keeps him in the fight and, and makes this potentially a close fight. But I actually, one of the rare people that do agree with you, that Floyd has sort of lost a little bit of a step. Look, he's still the clear-cut number one guy. But what we saw in those two fights with Marcos Maidana is very telling. And every time I say that, especially in my weekly chats on ESPN.com, people are like, you know, oh, you're always going to point to that first fight when Maidana was quartering. And I don't even point to that first fight. Mm -hmm. I actually go conspiracy theory a little on you and think that Floyd was a little bit more smart than we might have realized at that time the more I look back at the first fight. And he actually was willing himself back to the ropes, almost allowing these situations to trade, allowing himself to get cornered. Because I think at the time he thought less of Maidana than he should have. I think he might have thought that he was even going to stop Maidana and that maybe he can give the fans an exciting show and that would you know help bolster his pay-per-view numbers moving forward. I think he just got a little more overwhelmed, made the adjustments, won that fight. I'm pointing to the second fight. I was ringside for it as well as you. And I think the one thing I noticed, even though when you're watching at home, he won that fight a lot easier he danced you know he 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 boxed he, mm-hmm. he just kept circling moving away but he had the labor to do so in ways that i have never seen him before look i you know i was ringside for when he when he torched canelo that was masterful at age 36 at the time he wasn't touched in this second fight with maidana it was something that you couldn't really see on the telecast you had to be ringside to see it the facial expressions the way that even though he was continuously getting out of trouble and getting out of the way he had to will and labor himself to do it in ways that I hadn't seen before. That was very telling to me that if he's going to finally face a guy with elite hand speed who can work on trying to cut off the ring on him, that it's not going to be just, oh, let me make this adjustment and let me get out of there. I think that's a real telling thing. He's going to be in for a close fight here. Sure. All right, man. Well, quickly, 
what you know there's so much hype around this fight the hype is just going to grow over the next two months the next 59 days until may 2nd what you know how important is it that this fight lives up to the hype and that people you know come away from that being like wow that was worth the 99 dollars i or whatever (laughs) pay-per-view price i may have just put down on that that was worth worth the 10 grand i just spent in vegas to uh, go watch right that was worth kidnapping you know ti and stealing his ticket (laughs) so i could see this fight uh you know what how how important is it to that this fight lives up to these expectations and can it even like how i mean look you look at mayweather canelo that was that was about that as didn't. big a dud as you could come up with and i don't know i mean you either blame mayweather's greatness or canelo's whatever uh canelo not showing up but anyway tell me you know how much does it matter that this lives up to the hype well, I think Floyd's best chance to win is to is to almost, you know, completely one shot and get away, which leads to a boring style. Mm-hmm. So that's that's not going for us in that regard. But I do think it look it's impossible for this to live up to the hype. To live up to the hype, it's gotta almost become this brawl out of nowhere, right? With both guys going down and just, you know, almost like a Pacquiao Marquez four, where it was just so exciting, you didn't see it coming, it was just one thing after another. It's not gonna be that. But I still think it can live up to the hype from a dramatic standpoint of swings of momentum, of Pacquiao maybe having success early and sort of catching Floyd off guard and then seeing Floyd make those adjustments. Almost like a high speed chess. I I make a comparison to one of my favorite fights ever from two thousand, De La Hoya Mosley won, where it was just high speed chess the whole time. I actually think that's possible. I think the fact that they're both older, you know, maybe a sl- step slower will lend itself to a more competitive fight. But I think it is actually important, though, to live up to some kind of hype and not be another Canelo uh, Mayweather or Mayweather De La Hoya where fans were so excited to buy it, so excited to want to be back in boxing again, and then they were just let down. It was another boring fight where one guy dominated by by circling and being defensive. Right. If you're going to have the consistency and build off of this where you're going to keep casual fans coming back, this fight actually does have to live up even you know, 60%, 70%. I almost think that if Floyd goes down once, if Manny scores one legit knockdown, it'll almost be worth the people will just lose their minds to even have seen that happen no but, question uh, about that just to uh you know let, uh, before we we get on to al Heyman and pvc premier boxing champions all that i want to give you a second tell me about your man taishan dong just heavyweight phenomenon uh about to take things over yeah, this segment is called Tyshawn Watch, and I, we got to give an update because our guy, my guy, your guy, the the, the nearly seven foot Chinese heavyweight project. You know, he just had a, a fight last Friday, defeated Roy McCrary, age forty two, in a four round decision in Indio, California. We got our man Tyshawn three and zero with two KOs. All right, he scored two knockdowns in this fight. But he's fighting basically a guy who looked exactly like Abdullah the Butcher, you know, a guy with, who was 42, had a little bit of slickness. But these are the fights where Tyshawn's supposed to roll through guys. So even though Tyshawn scored the two knockdowns, like I mentioned, I didn't come away, you know, feeling like my guy is going to catapult himself. What a surprise, to a, man. I, was re- I really had my hopes up for this 6'11 Chinese guy that a lawyer in Los Angeles found on, like, <laughs> the street in Monterey Park and said, hey, you're big. You should fight. Uh, I mean, the biggest thing that I am – my biggest uh, disappointment right now is that Tyshawn dropped his 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 – his family name Dong from, he his, the Dong. from his, he's not going to be fighting as Taishan Dong anymore. He's just Taishan. And like, <laughs> I'm, I'm a boxing fan, which a lot of the time means that I enjoy juvenile humor. Oh, no, yeah. There goes all the giant Dong lines. There goes all the, you know, I mean, so just Dude, so much. I can't send you gone. Dong pics anymore and get away with it. You, know? <laughs> you can, if you want, I mean, it's okay. <laughs> there's, there's lots of different Dong pics out there. No, well that, that lessens his charm, of course, but I think it's probably good from a marketing standpoint about going forward. But look, the, every, this, all three of us, 
fights have been on TV. Anytime this guy's going to fight, we're going to watch. It's going to be interesting. I mean, he's that sort of project that you want to get behind. You almost want him to be good. But at this point, uh, we got to hold the, hold the phone, hold the dong. We got to, you know, I don't know if we're there yet. I don't know if we're going to get there. Just All right. Well, uh, I, let's just hope that 2015 brings us a Tyshawn versus Shannon the Cannon Briggs match. And we'll just be like, throw all the gimmicks out there. Oh, winner gets Kimbo. That'd be fantastic. Um, all right. So this weekend uh, is the first uh, event to be put on by Al Heyman's premier boxing champions. Uh, and before we get into the talking, breaking down the fights between Keith Thurman and Robert Guerrero, Adrian Broner and John Molina Jr., uh, just sort of let's talk about this Heyman enterprise in general at first. Uh, what, what, do you, what, is, what is this? What is Heyman Boxing doing? What is premier, bo- premier boxing champions going to do to the sport? Well, look, this has been long rumored. We knew going back about, you know, nine months to a year ago that something was going to happen with Heyman, that, there, you know, there was going to be this launch back on potentially free TV on NBC, which is the first network that he that he launched. We just didn't know if we can trust it, right? Because 2014 mm-hmm. was one of the worst years in recent memory for boxing. And a lot of that blame goes to sort of the fights that were put on by you know, fighters controlled by Al Heyman. I mean, he's an advisor slash manager, and he sort of it was it was given the appearance that last year on Showtime, you know, that he was pulling the pl- you know pulling the strings, that he was calling the shots, and it was just one mismatch after another for almost every fighter in his stable. But as we're sort of seeing now, maybe 2014 was a little more of a chess match to watch. You know, it, it hurt boxing fans, but it was sort of putting the pawns in place because now he's launching this series. It starts this Saturday on NBC. In recent weeks. He signed on to take this PBC series now to what? To to Spike TV, to CBS in, in prime time in the afternoons, to you know NBC Sports, to a a new network, Bounce TV, I believe it's called. Right. He's also it's going to air in the UK. This is a big deal right now, and it's a big deal because if you were to add, if you were to survey a bunch of people who used to be boxing fans and now you know have the same response, well, you know I used to watch it when Tyson was there, when De La Hoya, but not anymore. The biggest thing that'll come up is what you know the fights. Not only do we often get bad matchups. They're often on pay-per-view or pay cable. There's no fights anymore on free TV. At the very basis of what the PBC seems to be all about, it seems to be about bringing good fights back to the masses on free TV. And I think that alone, regardless of, of your thoughts on where this can go, is a huge thing for the sport. And it opens up the door for a lot of long-term potential because of how quickly this guy's signing up airspace and bringing his series to so many different networks that we may be on our way here, Rafe, to a long-term, almost UFC-like plan, I think, where it's almost like their own league with their own belts. Mm-hmm. It's I mean, just that crazy seems to be to the direction about... it's going, right? I mean, he's yeah. he's buying up as much airtime as he can. He's he's uh, setting. He's almost ta- taking up all the oxygen from the sport for every at every outlet except for HBO, and he's putting on his own fighters there. So uh, you can see how over time, you know, fighters who belong, who are signed with smaller promotional outfits, uh, who aren't being managed by Heyman sort of get squeezed out of the picture unless they eventually come over to his side. And, and, Perhaps that's a great business plan, but you know what? I mean, personally, man, I just don't like being the pawn. Like, don't yeah. that, that that 
I don't care if it's good for boxing in the long term. I don't want to be manipulated like that. And it just uh, it, it still sort of uh, rubs me the wrong way. It could be good for boxing in 2015 and maybe for several years to come. It could be great for the sport overall. But I don't I, I kind of don't like the uh, the mentality of a lot of boxing fans that's saying that like, oh, this is great for boxing. Let's worship. Let's like, you know, start yeah, I'm going not Wayne's him. world on Al Heyman. Yeah, like, oh, we're not worthy. We're not worthy after we spent five years recognizing all the ways that Al Heyman sort of did a slash and burn agriculture job on the sport, right? I mean, just... No, there's no question. I mean, it goes back to when he originally, you know... Andre Berto back in HBO 2010, yeah. 2011 was getting just crap fights, you know, defending his title against nobody's. That's you used what we to hear saw. the thing. You used to hear people say it like at big events. Oh, well, Al doesn't like his guys to face punchers. Like what, yeah. what sport is this? What are you talking about? Well, we know that Al's secretive, you know, doesn't talk to the media. He's behind the scenes, but here's one thing. And, I, and look, I give everybody right to be, to have pause. I mean, I, you know, pause, hashtag pause. I got a lot of hashtag pause about this whole situation. Like everybody, but sometimes you have to judge something by its fruit. And I know this, this series hasn't even launched yet, but every single thing about it has mm-hmm. been positive, Rafe. I mean, you can score it A-plus across the board. Not just the matchups that have been announced as really strong matchups on free TV, but there's a lot of little You're things You're giving A-plus to Hans Zimmer music for boxing? Uh, Hans Zimmer, first of all, is, is top shelf. I mean, but here's the thing. They, they say these guys, they want them to fight three to four times a year now in this series. There's full Olympic-style drug testing. The fighters are going to undergo undergo real, you know, brain scan testing that, you know, this all legit, everything on that is top shelf. They're also bringing back, you know, especially with NBC, the top level announcers, you know, coming back with Al Michaels, Marv Albert, Layla Ali in the booth. I mean, it's just Sugar Ray Leonard. It's, it's very impressive. All of the marketing so far from the PBC has, you know, the pre-fight almost 24 seven version thing they have called Mm -hmm. corner to corner. It's all been about putting the Focus back on the fighter, and here, and I'm not trying to stand, sound out as some kind of mouthpiece for saying, you know, guys, let's forgive Heyman, let's get back on board. But at the same time, who are the two people that have been getting ripped off the most in, in boxing Always in recent boxers. years? It's boxers and it's the fans. And right yeah. now, it seems like the fighters are being taken care of because not only are they getting these big paydays and these big opportunities on free TV, but it's like all the other things now. It seems like Al really does have their back. You can't get a fighter outside of Lucas Matisse to say a bad thing right. well, about Al right now. For a reason. That is the one thing fight, every fighter who's ever signed with him, and even probably some of them who, who were never signed with him, have said is that his fighters get the, get paid the most. They they get the the highest out of their you know bang for their buck in terms of risk reward matchmaking yeah. uh, setups, and and he takes care of fighters which is really what what boxing fans i think want for the sport right. they sports- also want a competitive sport to go with you know yes. safety and and you know what's good for boxers but if if they're going to build that kind of setup then i think eventually even sort of like a curmud- curmudgeon or whatever you want to call me is going to come around i have a sort of long-term business question here that i don't get and obviously we'll never be able mm-hmm. to hear from al Heyman or or one of the people who one of his mouthpieces because they won't really answer a question uh but sort of what's the how does this work three years from now can like when you stop do when Heyman and premier and pbc stops doing time buys which basically means they're going to nbc and bounce tv and nbc sports and like 20 million all of these things and saying no no no, you don't have to buy the rights to this event from us we're gonna pay you to put it on the air well of course people want like tv people are gonna want that on their air because it's just free money to them but you know, as us people, journalists who write for the internet know, uh, when you once you start giving away your content, 
it's hard to close that door and say, oh, no, no, now you got to pay us for it. Like how many websites that have paywalls <laughs> do well? Like do, do we think that NBC is going to buy boxing from Al Heyman after, he t- after he's given it to them for one year or two Are years? Are you saying or something this, like his, that? his plan is drug dealing 101, you know, giving it to you free up front? <laughs> Look, it's interesting. We don't know what's going to happen right now, okay? And that's a valid question, and there's a lot of question marks. One thing I do know is that Al's a lot smarter than, than all of us, it seems. You know what I mean? This guy's that's what Harvard, everyone says. educated, I mean, uh, dominated the music business, the, you know, the, the, the promotion business in, in music back in the day before he moved into boxing. Wait, Brian, He's, are you telling me that, that, that some guy that, I, that won't even talk to me because I'm in the media is smarter than me? I mean, like, some yeah, how, I, how I, I, mean, I hide money in air conditioners. <laughs> you know, I have an Ikea bed. Like, this guy, you know, I mean, come step to me, man. G-Funk, step to this. I dare you. <laughs> um, here's the thing about Al in the long-term vision. Paying huge sums of money up front. So, you know, we're getting really good fights right off the bat because we have to get really good fights off the bat, right? Because if he's paying his way for this airtime, it does him no good, you know, and putting on bad fights because it has to lead to something, right? So it's got to lead to to him getting some sort of big deal. And I think that's why the comparisons to the UFC make sense here because we know the UFC signed on for that huge deal with Fox you know, something like $100 million a year to put on their fights. That has to be, in my mind, the real exit plan for, for Heyman and where he's heading. So I, I understand that people are going to have pause. Okay, you know, maybe we're going to get really good fights from Al for a year, mm-hmm. but what's going to happen when he gets the, you know, when he gets this deal? I know everyone involved with Heyman, from his fighters to the people associated with the PBC that go on record, constantly portray this guy as sort of a Robin Hood. And right. it just doesn't make sense for, you know, because we can't just forget that 2014 didn't happen. But I almost have a sort of a, a, a theory, a conspiracy angle on this. And the fact that, you know, the only real pieces ever written about Al were two pieces by Greg Bishop, one in New yep. York Times, one in Sports Illustrated that were very well detailed that, that can get as much digging out of, you know, Heyman's history as you can. And the thing that kind of sort of came out of that said that Heyman's brother was a boxer, you mm-hmm. know, in like the 60s and 70s. I can almost sort of connect the dots and, uh, from a conspiracy Robin Hood angle and say, Maybe a lot of this is Al trying to give back to the sport where no one else is ever giving back to the sport to take care of the fighters, to get them back on network TV, which boxing is needed. And look, it's not our money right now that's being posted up. So I don't know why people get so upset, you know, in the sums that he's putting up. As long as the fights are good, we're going to watch them. But I don't think it serves Heyman in the long run, even if he does get some sort of UFC on Fox type deal to continually put out bad products because, you know, it's about making good fights. Does that justify the last few years? I don't think so, but it might make us have to from a from sort of a chess pawn standpoint of setting up his moves in advance because this guy seems brilliant. And look, as long as we're going to be getting what we want, I'm not going to complain about it. No, right? He's not. There's no reason to complain right now in 2015. Uh, although I can see some situations brewing, assuming that not every fighter joins PBC in the next. 16 months or two years or whatever, where we're going to want to see some cross inter, you know, inter promotional yeah. matchups. I mean, you'd look at Heyman's stable, his, uh, the, the 160, 170 fighters he has. It's pro, it represents more talent than anyone else. But you look at the most top 10 pound for pound list, whether it's ESPN, Ring Magazine, or, uh, you know, the Transnational Boxing Rankings Board. Did I can't believe I got that right. Um, <laughs> the trncb.b.org. <laughs> um, 
If you look at most pound-for-pound rankings, you know, how many of them are Heyman fighters? There's Mayweather, but a lot of the other fighters on the list are foreign fighters from other countries. There, Manny Pacquiao, Gennady Gennady Golovkin has made his way onto a lot of lists, and if he's not on it yet, he'll probably be on it soon in some cases. Um, You know, these are are some of the biggest, most impressive names in the sport going right now, and they're not Heyman fighters. So So what if we don't ever get to see them fight the talent that Heyman has? Yeah, it's going to get to a point, Rafe, where it's going to be you're either with him or against him. And if his plan does work long time, clearly there's going to be some short-term obstacles of what you're mentioning, where we're not, you know, not going to see fighter A against fighter B. It's going to be the continuation of the Cold War, which I, I get. A lot of fans, that's their biggest, you know, regret, and all this happens. Like, yeah, hey, we might get some good fights in the interim, but what's going to happen when fighter A still can't? fight fighter B but I think it's eventually if Al's big plan works it's going to get to a point where you're almost going to want to be with him if you're not right because uh, you look another factor of why this is great for fans right now is the short term it's going to create so much competition mm-hmm. and that's so great for boxing we saw that in 2013, when Heyman took his fighters to Showtime, it created such huge competition. And there's almost like a pro wrestling comparison in this regard. I mean, a lot of people are making sort of NWO references. You know, this is that Heyman's like the WCW and NWO, you know, sort of changing the game and coming on. I think it's a lot different than that. I think it's a lot more comparable to what Vince McMahon did with the WWE in the you know early to mid-1980s when he separated from the, the territorial system and everyone was mad at him and he completely changed the game. But he had a vision for the sport. Or the sport, or, or the you know, or the sports entertainment. I mean, we, that, we we at Grantland, we we freely call professional wrestling a sport. Yes. Uh, thanks to David Shoemaker, the Mass Man. You he's know, incredible. He's, he uh, he. You know, we're fine with that. But like. It's a much more, it's a much deeper comparison to Vince in this sense, launching what he did with WrestleMania and going in that direction because I think what Heyman's doing is serious. I think it's going to get to a point like it got with pro wrestling where you're either with them or you're not. Because what did everyone else do right away when Vince lost WrestleMania? It, it put the competition back on them. You know, you saw right away with those, with those super clashes where all the promoters were coming together and trying to just do anything to yeah. equal what Vince was doing. You know, it didn't work out for them and slowly one by one they were picked off. And I don't, I'm not necessarily saying I want that for boxing. You know, I, I don't, and I don't want to see whoever's not with Al Heyman fall apart. But I think at least in the short term, it's going to put the onus on them to join hands, and we're seeing that with Oscar and Bob Arum already, and put out your best product possible. And that's a great thing for boxing fans. Yes, I don't know the end game. I don't know how it's going to heal the Cold War. But I think in the short term... It's not our money, Rafe. Let's enjoy. Look, man, it, you, it makes a lot of sense. It's kind of hard to argue with with when you're dropping science like this, just you know, kicking knowledge at me. But uh, I mean, I, there's one thing that I will n- never forgive uh, Al Heyman for, or, or anyone in his camp. If this happens, if our guy Gennady Triple G Golovkin somehow gets squeezed out of this, and and his career doesn't have so clearly doesn't have the trajectory that that we hope it has that's basically saying that they don't respect box you know i mean this is fight <laughs> this is not game this is a serious drama show i mean you got to get on board no but but to be for, for real i mean and it's not just golovkin it's sergey kovalev no, for main real, events. Right. so many great fighters it's your that, guy, our guy vasil come on vasil oh my uh, yeah oh, i mean basically this 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 crop of uh russian speaking fighters uh from ukraine kazakhstan russia you know um mostly those countries um <laughs> that crop of fighters if they 
somehow get cut out of whatever is happening in the sport and their careers suffer for it. These are amazing talents, and I want to see them. I'm, I, I really want to root for those guys against in the best fights and see them sort of reach their athletic, competitive uh, zeniths. Uh, and, and if PBC takes that away from me in the short term, I'm a boxing fan. What can I do? I'm going to keep watching them regardless, right? But That's a fair point, dude. Uh, That's a strong point, no doubt. I just, I guess, I just hope there's a merger in the long run, some form of happy medium where everybody wants to Al, play so ball. So you're saying Al Heyman is going to purchase uh, the governments of Kazakhstan, <laughs> Ukraine, and Russia, and then yeah. we'll be able to get all of our favorite Eastern Bloc fighters under the same PBC tent. You know, maybe I'm a little bit too optimistic. Maybe there's a lot more to think about. And you brought up great points. If a guy like Triple G is is left on the outside with a much smaller opponent pool, that's not going to be good for any of us. And look, I don't know how that's going to be sorted out. But in the past, we've seen, you know, with the AFL and the NFL, the NBA and the ABA, you know, cooler heads prevailed when you had two really strong products. Boxing's not known for cooler heads prevailing, right? But we've seen more in the last two months from where Heyman might be doing that's a positive for the sport than we've seen in a really long time. So I'm going to hold out some optimism. I'm going to do that, which this is not an optimistic sport, right? If you know that. That's, I mean, that's, I think, why I'm a boxing fan is I'm, an, I'm a born pessimist. I'm a cynic. I'm from, <laughs> born to you lose. know, I, I grew up in New York and like we just complain about everything there. And uh, that's, that's just. I don't know if I'm going to be able to to survive in the new optimistic land of boxing. But uh, before we roll ahead and preview this weekend's main event and the co-main uh, coming from Vegas, uh, I wanted to sort of slow down and step back and and introduce this thing called the Judah List. And it's sort of an homage to Jim Lampley at HBO and the Gotti List that he presents on his, uh, on, on his show, The Fight Game. The Judah List, named after Zab, Judah is a list of three fighters who are fighting in the next uh, calendar month. So by April 4th, we're recording this on March 4th. So by a- April 4th, uh, who I would like to see get knocked out in humiliating fashion, much wow. the way that in 2001, Zab Judah lost to Kostya Zoo. And I know a lot of people might say that that was not a great stoppage by the one and only referee, Jay Nady, uh. but it is still one of the funniest clips to rewatch. Uh, Judah not going down in the second round and then popping up, doing this insane dance, uh, going back down, and then attacking Jay Nady after he stops the fight. Uh, it's, it, Isn't Jay Nady's walk of shame when he takes a point away from you and walks you around to each judge? Like that the is most true, that's true. I mean, debilitating thing in all of boxing. One of the problems with the Judah list is that it, it, it is sort of uh, connected in its origins to Jay Nady. We'd like to erase that. But <laughs> let's, let's move on. And, and so... This month, there are three fighters who I'll just have such schadenfreude, such joy watching them lose if they lose. Uh, and first, I want to start with a guy who's fighting this weekend in Macau, China, two-time Chinese gold medalist Zhu Ximing, who is fighting, uh, is actually challenging uh, a, a Thai champion uh, who has one of the, the championship belts named Amnat Runrong uh, in Macau over the weekend. It'll be on HBO2. Uh, and Ximing has is this guy, or Zhu, I should say, is um, this fighter. He's a, you know, fighting in the lower weights at 112 pounds who won two gold medals and is sort of the linchpin to the plan that Top Rank has used to try yeah. and open up sure. China, the Chinese market to boxing. And they present him as this great world-beating guy, two gold medals, all this, all these amateur accolades who's going to come over and take over the lower weight classes. Well, we've watched him on HBO2 and on Manny Pacquiao undercards from Macau. And really, his fights have just been this like sort of exercise in 
uh, dark humor, you know, like, oh, now he's going to fight a six-rounder against a 14-year-old kid from Mexico. You know, now he's going to fight uh, this, you know, Three foot eleven Manny Pacquiao lookalike from Thailand. Okay, and that was great. He hasn't even looked good beating those guys. So I know no, he's and, a slapper. He's a slapper. Come yeah, on. and so here is a fight, and I haven't actually watched much, or to be to be you know tr- totally honest, any of I'm not Rune Rong's fights, but the the sort of gatekeepers of the low weight classes say that he is the real deal and that he could or maybe should beat Zoshiming and man if he does uh, that's that's really all I'm going to be watching that for and hopefully to see <laughs> Zhu do something embarrassing happen to him it's going to be you know I'll I'll jump out of my my couch if that happens look real quick my my uh, I'll good cop bad cop year year yeah he's been shoved down our throats there's no problem no question about it he's clearly not the real deal yet on a pro level although I like the advancements he'd made under Freddie Roach. Uh, he's a slapper, but he is does have charisma. You know, I, I don't hate this journey that we've been taking on as much as others, but I do think one thing: this is the toughest fight of his career up to this point. He's probably, uh, you know, the underdog for a reason in terms of skill versus skill, and you know what that means. Mm-hmm. Sign me up for Zoo by majority decision. <laughs> and and to to make matters worse, I've heard through some commentators this weekend some stuff I've read about the fight that Runrong is not much of a puncher. He's just a good boxer, which is uh, also not a great sign for for my uh, my judo list wish to come true. So number two, uh, fighting uh, a month from now, April fourth, from Quebec City, uh, the one and only Adonis Superman Stevenson against uh, Sakio. I don't think my wish is going to come true, but man, really, this is just sort of looking forward down the road, thinking that someday, since they're the two best fighters left in the 175-pound division, Sergey Kovalev and Adonis Stevenson are going to fight. And honestly, Stevenson has a pretty good chance of knocking Kovalev out too. But if Stevenson goes down in that fight, uh, I am going to be doing like a jig, some Michael Flatley River dance. I'll do the Dougie. <laughs> I will do it all. Like I, 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 He's just Cabbage one of those guys. Pass. I cannot wait to see that guy lose. Yeah, dude, I can't defend this guy at all because of what he's doing. And, and I think actually, you know, people rip Al Heyman a lot for, for Stevenson not fighting anybody. I actually think it's more Stevenson. I think it's more of this guy coming to the title so late in his career, like, what, 37. You know, I think he just wants to attach himself to as many possible paydays as he can against guys who really aren't worthy of a title shot against him or aren't the guy that he should be fighting. I'm not going to defend Adonis. I mean, he gives a, he's a good quote every once in a while, but he's not stepping up to the plate. This is not hashtag D2BG in any, any form. All right. And the last guy on, the, on this inaugural edition of the Judah List, uh, fighting a week from now or next week, next Friday, on Spike TV. And this is more of a fan's choice than a personal choice, uh, Andre Berto. Now, we mentioned him earlier. He was sort of the, or one of the original sort of test cases for how Al Heyman could manipulate the boxing business. He, he was fed just lots of sort of uh, guys he outclassed, guys who had no business being the rim, ring with him, uh, and they were put on HBO time after time. He would knock them out, uh, and they built him up into this sort of hype machine. And since then, Berto's had loss. He lost to, you know, he lost to Victor Ortiz, <laughs> uh, another favorite. Just uh, we, we, can, we don't even have time to talk about how great Victor Ortiz is right now, but he lost to Ortiz in a great fight. He lost to Guerrero in another really good fight. Then he lost us almost 
heartbreaking loss to uh, Jesus Sotocaras, yeah. where he, you know, threw out his shoulder in the fight, was fighting with one arm, throwing, showing a lot of a lot of heart, and uh, and then got knocked out in the last round by a beautiful left hook from. This is why I got to interrupt you, Rafe. Yeah. I got to give you, a, I got to give you my patented. I mean, come on, dude, you said it, but you don't mean it because Bruno's <laughs> turned the corner, dude. He's no longer the guy anymore. That was like the poster child it's that true, we love man, to but hate. When you look at Twitter, when you read Twitter during a Berto fight, it seems like most boxing fans haven't <laughs> turned the corner with him. I'm there with him. I'm kind of rooting for him. Look, he's but... turned the corner because he's got so much heart. He's so vulnerable in a fight that every fight's going to be yeah. a brawl. Ever since we saw him get blinded against Carrero <laughs> with, with both eyes closed, Chuck, this guy gives it to you. He's kind of funny on Twitter. I mean, our guy, James Bag Jr., just loves uh, you know doing the we live in thing because this guy, <laughs> this guy you know, what's the meaning of life? This, this Berto's so philosophical. He's no, a great you're follow. Right. You're right. My I dude. Mean, it, it's a half-hearted inclusion of Andre Berto in this. One for the fans because I guess people still haven't totally come around on him. But honestly, I remember some of his quotes uh, on camera after he lost the Soto Carras fight. That was, I mean, really gut-wrenching stuff, kind of like the blood and guts emotion and, and the, one of, really the powerful side of boxing. When you see guys who've just left it all, and sometimes that isn't enough to win. Um, so I wouldn't, you know, let's, let's put it this way. I wouldn't mind seeing Andre Berto defeat Josecito Lopez uh, on March 13th. So that he could get a bigger fight, and then we could root for him to lose again. <laughs> I'm the opposite, dude. I'm cheering for this guy all the way now. He's my dude. He's my dude. All right, man. Enough appetizers. Let's talk about the main event. Let's talk about Premier Boxing Champions. First broadcast on NBC, the unveiling of uh, Al Heyman's product, his his masterpiece. The first sort of the first step along this you know path paved with gold uh, to boxing glory. Uh, it's going to be a main event of Keith Thurman and Robert Guerrero and a co-main of Adrian Broner and John Molina. Um, start off, tell me what, you know, start off telling me about the main, Thurman Guerrero. Look, I really like this fight. Thurman, of course, is the guy who I really think has next in the welterweight division. He's a sort of, a, he's got one of those trinket halfway titles from the WBA, but it doesn't even really matter at this point. He should be a full title holder, but they're keeping Floyd's belt on, on Floyd's waist for no reason. But, Thurman is, is a guy who might have next, and we know that Guerrero is a guy at 32. We don't know which direction he's going. You know, once a big name, got to the highest level against Floyd in 2013 and, and got destroyed, trying to rebuild him back up. This is a great fight to launch the series with, I think, in many ways, because I think there's so much potential for action in this one, right? You know, because Thurman has shown us a little bit of everything in every fight, not yet really been able to give you that one complete performance, but he's shown you enough that he might be for real, but he's never fought a guy on this level with this type of experience. So I'm fired up for this one. Yeah, it's a, I mean, it's a really good fight. The two exciting fighters, Guerrero has sort of taken on this. I mean, his last name means warrior, but he's taken he's really taken that to heart in his last few fights at welterweight, except for the one against Floyd Mayweather, where he couldn't get near Floyd. Uh, <laughs> But, you know, and I almost think that that's going to hurt Guerrero in this fight against Thurman, who we've seen is one of the best punchers in the division, uh, could prove to be one of the better punchers or best punchers in the sport. Uh, no question. And Guerrero, he really believes in his guts and he, his, he can take it and, and go deeper than anyone else. And you saw that in his fight. I was at his fight against uh, Yoshihiro Kamagai last year in Carson, California. And Guerrero was just letting, standing in front of Kamagai, letting him wail on him. 
at times when he didn't need to. And, exactly. and I actually thought Guerrero was closer to getting stopped in that fight just from exhaustion and what he let the punishment he sort of, you know, stood up to because he wanted to prove something than he needed to. I mean, he was clearly the, the better boxer in that match. Uh, and if he goes up to Keith Thurman and is just like, you know, come at me, bro, I can take it. <laughs> I don't think it's going to end well. Yeah, I think I fully agree with, with where you're going with that. And I think that he was like, it was unnecessary for him to get. That was a fun fight with Kamagai, but it was Amazing. unnecessary. Yeah. Unnecessary for him to get into those brawls, right? I mean, it was just sort of like, that showed me something that, look, Guerrero got the fight against Mayweather simply through getting through Berto and moving up in mm-hmm. weight. And, you know, we know that that's the path to Mayweather. It used to be just to feed Andre Berto. <laughs> but I don't think he ever really fully showed us enough. Even though it was a fun fight, he fought crazy dirty against Berto. It was a brawl. I don't think he's really ever validated his placement as a real legit welterweight. His name has gotten there quicker. You know, he's got a lot of heart, but his name has gotten there quicker and faster than his ability has. I think that's sort of the underreported story right here, that Thurman's the next big thing potentially, but also Guerrero might not be all that we kind of thought he was. And I think that that is going to be what's going to, we're going to see it play out that way, where Thurman's just going to end up being too much. Yeah, and I mean, we know that Thurman is going to have something to prove being on NBC, being on national television in prime time, the first Al Heyman PBC card, and also his last fight in December against uh, uh, what, against uh, Leonard Bundu. In, what's his name? Leonard, Leonard Bundu? Leonard Bundu? Yeah, no one had heard of him. Leonard Bundu from France. And, and it didn't, I mean, Thurman won. It was a shutout. He knocked him down once. But... People expect more from that from Keith Thurman than the kind of performance he showed against Bundu. Uh, and, he, you know, well, you he talked to you a little bit about it when you interviewed him last week, right? Yeah, you know, the, he experienced so many boos in that fight. He mm-hmm. knocked, down, knocked Bundu down in the first round, but and then just boxed circles around him the rest of the way. Didn't really step on the gas pedal. The boos were raining down. I did ask him when I talked to him, you know, how did, how did you react in the moment to hearing those boos? Those were Amir Khan fans. It was coming from a, a certain section of the arena. I could hear it all night. It was a, it was a single section. The rest of the arena uh, was not as um, um, as loud as that one section. And they were mad at me because 24 hours prior to the fight, uh, you know, I stated that Amir Khan is the number one most overrated welterweight in the welterweight division, and Amir Khan was the main event. So I'm not mad for the booze, you know. Uh, some people might have been booing because I also called out Mayweather and things of that nature. But look, man, the dude barely touched me for 12 rounds. You know, um, I don't really think that Amir Khan did anything different. He boxed, he stick and moved, and he kept moving and boxing and moving and boxing. He just showed hand speed when I showed a knockdown in the first round, you know. So, you know, it's, it's, a, it's opinionated, you know. Maybe people were bored because they had money on the knockout, and I didn't get the knockout that night. At the end of the day, man, we, we boxed a very smart fight. Twelve rounds of somebody that, you know, wasn't able to uh, really touch me, man. It's a learning experience, and, you know, I'm the performer. That's my stage. I choose how to perform. I said it on, on stage, and I'll say it again, and I'll continue to say it throughout my whole career. You don't go to McDonald's and tell them how to flip your burgers, so you can't tell me what to do in the ring. You know, I'm a world-class fighter, and I'm going to show, you know, um, world-class composure with booze, with cheers, with anything. They could be cheering for the other guy. It doesn't bother me. All right, Brian. So... Amir Khan may be the most overrated welterweight in the welterweight division. Don't go there. But Don't go is there. Amir Khan the best in the world at beating Amir Khan? Can you tell me that? <laughs> no, but, I mean, look, I love. Yeah, go, well, let me get into this. Go, go ahead. 
I love those comments from Thurman. He's, a, he's a, one of the best. He's, a, he's in my top three of best interviews. I mean, Tim Bradley still got the number one spot, but Thurman's up there. He so colorfully just brings it. Here's why I like that statement. He deserved the booze he got that night, by the way, because he had called out Floyd Mayweather uh, the, you know, 24 hours earlier at the right. way, and he goes by the model KOs for life. And then he had a guy in front of him we knocked down right away. Difficult guy. He never went after him. But here's why I like that he made all those ridiculous statements in that soundbite, because he didn't feel like he needed to go for the knockout to please anybody. He's sort of showing you such a well-roundedness and a maturity beyond his years. Like, is it a bit of him sort of contra- contradicting himself in some ways? Yeah. But at the same time, he doesn't feel that pressure. He's, you know, he wanted to show you something by boxing circles around Bone Dew, even with the fans booing. And I think what it showed is this guy's got a complete game for being so young, and he's got a certain attitude and sophistication to him that other fighters don't have. And I think it lends itself to him really being a complete fighter. I mean, he's kind of a weird dude. The more you get to see, like you saw that, that, that PBC documentary series corner to corner kind of, kind of showed us a little bit, a little bit of a weird dude, but I think there's some weird maturity with him. Yeah. It's, I mean, you know, a lot of people say he has the, uh, the potential both in terms of his ability as a fighter and the the way he sells fights his the way he talks the way you know his 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 swagger at times his sort of quirky character to to really rise into the to being a marquee star in the sport but you know you brought your clip i got a clip too this mine is from youtube it's not from direct access to any fighters but i got a clip too from uh pvc's website and uh, something they uploaded and i think it it might be a reason why keith thurman isn't going to be Become the next big star in boxing. Ever since I was a child, man, I had a love for nature, man. And uh, this flute right here, you know, it just sounds really natural. And that's what attracted me to it. Word. Brian, you know what else sounds natural? <laughs> Farts. Uh, you know, your voice sounds natural to me. Manny Pacquiao's voice sounds natural to me. I wouldn't ask, you know, him to sing <laughs> bird-watching melodies to me. Uh, but uh, aside, you know, from Keith Thurman's diction, he what the point is, the guy's too weird. Like, you can sense, like, his his his, his weird ponytail and man bun. Uh, and then what know, is he doing in that PBC documentary? He was getting acupuncture. acupuncture I, mean, I mean, well, acupuncture, I, I think, may have, you know, some real value. Value. I mean, if it just centers him and he meditates and whatever visualizes, with you it, putting the stamp of approval on that. I'm, like that. I'm down, man. I'm you know put those cups, you know those 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 cups with the with the with the matches in them. And yeah, you, I'm not. I don't. I don't you raise I don't really the like welts that. on your skin. Oh, whew. anyway, but besides it, there's just you can people can sense it that Thurman is just a strange guy, and I like it. I think it's cool. I think it makes him an interesting character. Someone I want to learn more about, read about, talk to, all these things. Yeah, I'll follow him, but I don't think he has enough. It's, I think that weirdness is going to come through to people, and it's going to prevent him from being sort of like just a, a Mayweather, Pacquiao, De La Hoya, Canelo star. These guys are just marquee idols. You know, they, they, they embody an archetype, a villain, a hero, just a, a, a statesman in, in some cases, which Manny Pacquiao both plays in a real way and not so real way. But I, what I mean is, yeah. you know, Thurman is almost too complicated, I think, to, to come across in a broad way. Now, maybe he becomes such a great boxer that it doesn't matter and the skills do all the talking. But his 
his character is one that makes me think he'll be one of my favorites, but not the entire world's favorites. Yeah, he's not going to be the trash-talking knockout guy that we may have thought he was. But like I sort of alluded to earlier, I think it's it, that weird personality kind of comes together to make him a mature, complete fighter for a young age. I mean, he's very interesting. As no, we he's move a forward. smart guy, and you can tell he uses that smarts in the ring, and he'll adjust, and he 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 he's not afraid to use his brain and 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 let that be another thing that he can have in his pocket to win a fight with. Uh, you know, we're talking about guys with good characters, though, with a character that is ready to sell. So you know we're going to have to talk about my man, A.B., about, about billions. billions, Adrian Broner, your boy. Mr. NBC, Mr. HBO, Mr. Showtime. Mr. Popeyes. You know, the thing about him is anyone can get it, right, Rave? He's the can man. That, that, that's our dude. I mean, this is must-see TV. I, you know, credit to the PBC, credit to NBC, credit to Al for putting this guy on the card in a fight like this, right? I, of course. I mean, if you want he, – he, he's – well, he's already got – I think one of the highest profiles in boxing. People really know who this man is. Uh, I mean, I don't know if it's because he toured with Nelly. I'm pretty sure it's not because he toured with Nelly. <laughs> but no, it's the videos that are on World Star. It's the way he he's he's been outrageous over the years. Is having his his rotund father come in and brush his hair after fights. It's you know his sequin skirts that he fights in. It's walking pay- out to the ring with French Montana and Kendrick Lamar <laughs> and Rick Ross. I mean, he is he's played the part well and obviously like we've he, we've seen some weaknesses in, in him as a fighter but in terms of how he's selling himself he he's he's effective if not exactly winning over the hearts and minds of everyone yeah he's like the he's really the guy if you're you know launching the series guy you want to become a character like almost the face of sort of where this pbc on free prime network tv might be going it's this guy and you know if you follow him close enough he's bound to kind of annoy you but at the same time he's got a firm grasp of what he's trying to sell, right? You know, of who he, who he's trying to portray and that character he's playing. It's very, very uh, interesting at the very least. And so what do you, I mean, how do you, we've seen Adrian Broner go up and down a bit in his career, right? He was on this meteoric rise. Everyone with Grantland even proclaimed him the next big thing in boxing at one point in time. Uh, and then he started rising in weight classes, had a little bit, jumped from, uh, what lightweight to welterweight, 135 pounds at 147. Had some trouble three beating. Three weight classes. Yeah, is that yeah. Be, uh, before age 24, he had three titles and three weight classes. I mean, it was a really yeah. meteoric jump. For but real. so so had some you know didn't look great in beating uh, Paul Malignaggi for his for for a version of the title there, uh, and then. Well, you know, maybe the greatest moment in the past two years in boxing, the Broner-Marcus Maidana fight, where it was just, you know, he got knocked down twice and revenge-humped while losing to Maidana. So, Talk I about mean, the judo list, right? Yeah, that, I mean, well, he, he's, uh, he, I feel like he, he, he gets like a year off or a little more than a year off before he lands back on the judo list. If he, if he beats John Molina Jr. In, on Saturday night, then maybe we can add him, re, 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 you know, we'll yeah. re-accept his application to the to the judah committee but here's the here's the key question though for me in this fight yeah. with broner oh, above all else look and this is a fight against a, a tough guy a warrior and molina but a fight of course that broner should win yeah broner's got to answer me this question who are you moving forward you know what i mean are you that guy who used to box back in the day who used to really look like almost like a poor man's mayweather 2.0 mm-hmm. or are you that guy who's just frustrating to watch because of what we've seen from the maidana fight on where 
doesn't establish his jab, even though he's not a big puncher at 47 or really yet at 40, still just stands in there like he is and tries to counter you with with hard shots over the top, leaving him exposed to get hit. Mm-hmm. Are you merely a TV fighter moving forward who's going to be the face of NBC, IPBC, and all that, where you're going to put on exciting fights, get into brawls, you're going to talk trash, or are you still the guy with the pound-for-pound potential who will take a fight like this against Molina and maybe lessen the excitement value in order to win it safer? That's what I want to know. That's what this fight might tell me. Because coming off of that Maidana fight, I was ready to sell all my stock on him. And then in his two fights since then, I thought he just stood in the line of fire way too much. I thought he's not showing you that he's growing and evolving and advancing. Sure. No, I mean, his. I don't. it's hard for anyone to argue that he looked good in either of his two fights since losing to Maidana. The first, fighting against no relation, Carlos Molina, uh, who is not related to the other Carlos Molina. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, you know, and, and I also like the subplot in this story of Adrian Broner doing, like, the tour de, Man- de Molina in boxing, just fighting all <laughs> the, like, all Molinas, come at me, I got you. Get Yadier um, up in the bullpen, come on. <laughs> um but um yeah he i mean he he i even think he might he might it seemed like he could have lost rounds against molina at certain points of time didn't hurt him you know these we did, people expected him to walk through carlos molina the first time uh and especially after seeing Amir Khan stopped that guy. You know, it was a and and Molina hadn't fought since losing to Amir Khan what, almost two years before then. Uh, yeah. And then in what his next fight when he fought um, Emmanuel yeah. Taylor, he didn't look great in that either. No, if he didn't get that twelfth round knockdown, the whole story of that fight would have changed. That he just really didn't look good. So that's why he's got this chance here. But look, he's fighting a guy who's so fun to watch, such a fan friendly guy who's such an overachiever. You know, says the right things. I think he's again just like Broner is in a different light. This is the perfect guy to launch. This is the perfect TV fighter to launch with this series, right? And John Molina Jr., I mean, I was so happy to just, even though he's coming off of two losses, just to see him get this opportunity. Yeah, and it sounds like he's taking it real serious. He wants to come out and really prove something and and show people who watch this show on NBC that he is uh he's the warrior he's a TV fighter he's gonna give he's gonna send them home happy for having seen a hell of a fight. Absolutely. You know, and I did get a chance to talk to him in the lead up to this fight. And, you know, let, let's throw to that. Let's see what he had to say. If there's one thing that you want to get across to the average sports fan who's really going to be, you know, maybe tuning into boxing for the first time in a long time, what kind of statement do you want to make about yourself to them in this fight? They're going to see that I am a warrior, a gladiator in that ring. Again, no pun intended, and although that is my nickname, I'm going to show them that if you're going to spend your hard-earned money to see me fight if you're going to get a fight. I'm not going in there to, to to dance around. I'm going in there to fight and make it a barn burner, make it make it an all-out war. And that's my game plan. I mean, that's what I do. I'm very passionate about what I do, and I'm very thankful for what I've accomplished. I'm very thankful for what I've gained from boxing, so I'll never disrespect it. But I think this is why we are part of the inaugural show for NBC. We're going to show the casual fan who may or may not have seen these fight before. They're going to say, wow, that, that was quite entertaining. You know... I I believe John Molina here. That is what he intends to do. That's what he wants to do in the best-case scenario. Uh, but John Molina has some limitations as a fighter. I mean, he's got, what, five losses already? Uh, we, we, you know, and that's not a controversial statement. He's, not, he's, a, he's a huge puncher, great puncher, uh, both at lightweight and now at junior welterweight. But 
do we think that uh, you know he he needs to set his feet to punch? He's not he's not that active. He doesn't throw a lot, uh, and he kind of is. You talk about exciting fighters, knockout artists. He I'm a little scared. He's got a little more Randall Bailey in him than I don't know a more a pressure fighter. He's someone who's gonna sit. He he knows he's got that power, and he's he's just gonna sit and wait and hope for the opportunity to land that big punch to win a fight, and that could be very boring against a guy who boxes him, which Adrian Broner may not choose to do, but is certainly capable of doing. I mean, we've seen Molina sort of get dragged to the finish on some pretty ugly fights when he, what, uh, Andre Klimov. Uh, I mean, the similar thing was happening against Mickey Bay until he landed that great left hook and, and, and finished him in the last round. But it can, you know, I think we got to hope uh, Adrian Broner certainly hopes that he's a better fighter than Mickey Bay. And, if uh, if that opportunity for Molina to land never comes, it could be a pretty slow fight. You might not get this, you know, you might not say, wow, that was entertaining. Yeah, I think he's only going to be in this fight as much as Adrian Broner is going to allow him to. But, you know, like I alluded to earlier, I mean, AB knows entertainment. I feel like he's going to actually open that door and allow this to be a very exciting fight. So I think in that regard, Molina will get that chance. But a real underreported thing a lot of times from that Maidana loss is that Broner's got a heck of a chin. I mean, he was coming on late in that fight after essentially being dominated almost the whole way through. So I think Broner's going to have enough to outlast him in that regard. But I do think Broner's also going to allow Molina to make this a fun fight. And, you know, you referenced that Bay fight. That was, Molina calls that the turning point of his career. I think he has been a different fighter since rallying to knock out Bay. We saw him in the fight of the year candidate with Lucas Matisse last mm-hmm. year. Also in Bay's loss to uh, Humberto Soto late last year, you know, it was also another war in that regard. He is who he is. He's a TV fighter, but he's a fun one to watch. So I'm happy he's getting this this opportunity. You know, yeah. and that, I think that that Matisse fight last year, which was amazing. I mean, I, I I think it doesn't get enough credit as being one of the fights of the year as maybe it deserves. Uh, but you know, I think that Matisse was a perfect opponent to make John Molina look great. You know, he Molina was so had such a height advantage in that fight, and he was landing those big right hands over the top or counter right hands. Uh, and Matisse, that's how you know Matisse doesn't give a damn. He's coming after you. You know, he's and that, and eventually that's what he did. He he wore Molina down and put a pretty disturbing beating on him after getting hurt a couple times in the process. But that that was sort of a perfect match to make both guys look good and to raise Molina's stock and that's probably the reason why he's getting this fight against Adrian Broner I don't I don't know if he's going to look quite as good against Broner because I don't know if Broner is going to let him give him the chances to look as good exactly exactly well let's bring this to a to a wrap here with our predictions Rafe as we enter into this inaugural PBC who do you have and why all right, so in the co-main event, uh, not a big surprise. I'm picking Adrian Broner to, I guess, to outpoint uh, John Molina. I know he's talking about winning by knockout, but Molina's got a hell of a heart, and, and he wasn't even willing to go down to all the all the punishment that Lucas Matisse put on him last year. And Matisse's one of made probably the biggest puncher in the division. Uh, you know, if if that couldn't put Molina down, he had to be stopped by the referee. Uh, I don't think Adrian Broner is gonna do enough to 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 end this fight. And if Broner really does commit to that, then maybe we will have a more exciting fight. But I don't see it happening. I think it's gonna be an Adrian Broner unanimous decision. I'm right there with you for the same exact reasons. All right, so break down this main event for me. You know, I, I like I said, I think Thurman is the real deal. I think Guerrero still remains a little bit more overrated. He's got a bigger name than he has ability, although he's got a great heart in there. And, you know, one thing that was interesting that Thurman told me in my interview with him, 
He said, for the first six rounds, I'm going to go toe-to-toe with this guy. He says, I don't think Guerrero has faced anyone at junior welterweight or at welterweight who is a legit top-end puncher like himself. I thought it was interesting that Thurman's going to test himself. I think he thinks that that uh, you know Guerrero doesn't have the power established at welterweight necessarily, and I think that he's going to go to war with him. He says, after six rounds, he may turn back into the boxing if he needs to. And I think, though, that we are actually headed to a late stoppage. I mean, we haven't really seen Guerrero in this spot before, but I do think Thurman is that kind of puncher. And if he allows himself to trade with Guerrero, and we know that's what Guerrero wants, I think we are headed to the perfect showcase fight for where Keith Thurman is headed in a late stoppage. Yeah, I, I mean, we talked about this earlier, and I agree with you uh, overall about the fight. That I think Guerrero has fallen in love with himself, uh, with the idea of himself as this warrior, as this guy who can just take anything you throw at him and, you know, come back stronger. And he wants to bring you into deep waters and outwork you. And, and just, you know, he believes it's, it's a great thing to have that belief in your will and in your, in, in your, your ability to recover and just keep going as a fighter. But I think that he's biting off way more than he can chew trying to do that against Keith Thurman. I think he'll try it, and I think Thurman will make him pay for it and stop him mid to late rounds, like you said. Here's the question, though. If Thurman ends up making Guerrero look bad, if he, if he really wipes him out, does that end up not helping Thurman's stock as much as it could? Because then maybe we'll just say, oh, wait a minute. Well, who did Guerrero actually beat at welterweight? He bought – he beat – uh, Sel Sel Selchuk Aydin, who you know has since lost to Victor Postal in in ugly fashion, uh, and also lost to Jesus Sotokaras. Uh, he beat Andre Berto, whose career has been pretty much all downhill since then, uh, and he even started going downhill before then. And he lost to Floyd Mayweather by uh, you know embarrassing you know wide unanimous decision. So you know, will beating Guerrero too handily? make us instead just sort of reassess how good Guerrero was and be like, well, I'd still like to see Thurman fight Madonna. By the way, I still would like to see Thurman fight Madonna, especially <laughs> if before the fight he plays the Argentine national anthem on his flute. Oh, that's so that's so amazing. Look, I, if that does play out that way, I think it's more damaging to to Guerrero's name moving forward. I don't think it'll be held against Thurman because this is finally, you know, he, he doesn't like having to go through last year not fighting, not stepping up and fighting a bigger name as much as we didn't like it, you know, while Heyman was putting his chess pieces in place. This is that right name. Even if he blows him out, I still think that is good and propels him forward. I'd like to see you'd like him to see him against Maidana. I'd like to see him against Khan. You know, we saw him talk. We heard about him talking about Khan earlier in our pod. And uh, that'll be anywhere you go right now, because we know Heyman's got the 147 market pretty much cornered outside of a few names of top rank. Anywhere this guy goes with a victory is going to be fun to watch. That's for sure. All right, let's do one more thing before we go. And that's we're both huge. You know, we we get we're lucky. We get to go to fights live. We get to see you know, we get to sit close to ringside, if not totally ringside hashtag and, blessing and, on that Come yeah on. for real and uh and really you know just absorb the atmosphere of a fight we get to see the fighters wandering around the the casinos and the hotels after the fights <laughs> shirtless you know, bathrobes you know we've seen it all right <laughs> um but i want to just throw one one event in the next month out there that you would love to attend live and you would put you would put your own money down live even if you weren't trying to get press credentials Look, outside of the Lucas Matisse-Ruslan Provodnikov fight, which is, you know, it sells itself, obviously. I actually, I'm not going to be ringside for this fight on March 14th, but I wish I was in Montreal. It's going to be, of course, Sergey Kovalev defending the, his light heavyweight titles against former titleist, former division champion John Pasquel, Pascal. I think it's really interesting because it's in Montreal, and if you have never been there for a fight, 
it's really, you know, up there in the contention for the best boxing fight city, you know, in the world, really. I mean, it's intense. I was there for the, the second Hopkins-Pascal fight in 2011, and, man, that arena was rocking. This is a, an incredibly integral fight for Kovalev's launch. You know, I mean, we saw that he, he won the critical audience with that victory, with that sh- virtual shutout of, of Hopkins late last year. Beating a guy, you know, with this big of a name, this big of a following, allows him to further the conversation from a commercial standpoint. That arena is going to be rocking. They love them from some Pascal right there. And I think we're going to see some fireworks in that fight. That would really be my pick right now. It's really hard to argue with that, especially because of the undercard fight, the co-main event they have on that card. Steve Cunningham against Vyacheslav Glazkov. I mean, the czar. Yeah, the czar. Um, you know, I, I've just become a huge Steve Cunningham fan over the past few years, I think, of heavyweight of heavyweights. And he's probably not a natural heavyweight, but he's fighting there. He makes the most exciting... Uh, often just powerful to watch fights, not even just because of the situation with his with his daughter who was needing and eventually got a successful heart transplant last year, but because he's this undersized guy who comes out and can outbox his, his opponents a little bit, but not enough to stay out of trouble, and it, he either gets knocked out or or wins a close decision while trying, and uh, he's just he's, he fights with so much heart and a lot of skill, and you don't see a lot of that at heavyweight. I'm I've, I, I, I'm an unapologetic Steve Cunningham fan. So I would love to be in Montreal. I can't. And you be. put your guy Furry down, dude. You put your guy Tyson. No Fury. doubt, man. I, you know he should. I, I wish. I wish he had followed through on that and managed to win that fight. Fury kind of overwhelmed him in the end. But get you that know. guy in the judalist. Come on. One of these days, there are plenty of judalists to come. Um, in the future, but for now, I think that's going to wrap it up for the very first championship rounds podcast on the Grantland Network. Uh, we want to thank Joe Fuentes and David Jacoby, our producers. We want to thank the Grantland Network. I want to thank you, Brian Campbell, for coming on and being an expert for me. Oh, this was the best. This was the best. Hey, let's do it again sometime. What do you say, Rafe? I promise. I'll break out my nick. I haven't broken out my nicknames for you. That's that's next time around. Oh, I can't wait. Thank you for listening to Grantland. To hear more Grantland shows in your earballs, subscribe to Grantland Sports and Grantland Pop Culture on iTunes. Or go to grantland.com and click on podcasts.